Read in Hebrews chapter 2, please. Hebrews chapter 2. A few verses I'd like to read here where we can see the gospel so clearly, and I'd like to focus again on the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that affects you, how it ought to affect you tonight. Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll start reading at verse number 1. Hebrews 2 and verse number 1. It says this. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak? But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him? For the Son of Man that thou visitest him, thou madest him a little lower than the angels, who crowned him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's really what I want to focus on, this phrase here right at the end of verse 9, that he should taste death for every man. I'd like to read just a few more verses right here, same chapter, verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church I will sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And we'll stop reading there and ask the Lord to bless the reading of his precious word. It's a beautiful part of the book of Hebrews because we're in a transition. In chapter 1, he wants to speak about the glory of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'd like to proclaim this as well in our gospel preaching, that the Lord Jesus Christ was not just a man, but he is also the Son of God. He is one who was divine. And in chapter 1, the apostle, well, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, wants to emphasize this great fact. This man is not just man. He is God himself. And we come to chapter 2, and he wants to emphasize a different glory with respect to him, to the Lord Jesus. He says this, I want to show you how he is also a man. He is not like us in that he is God. 
but he is like us in that he is a man. And as we come to chapter 2, he wants to warn, but he wants to comfort, and he wants to show how the Lord Jesus Christ himself came, took a body, and then he took that body all the way to Calvary, where he offered it to God, and where it was accepted by God, and where salvation was procured and provided, and where it was, it was given for you and for me. So I'd like to speak to you about these things tonight, but first of all, I'd like to get into these first verses here. You see, I'm thinking about people in the crowd, and as I was reading these first verses, they were a little sobering to read. A little sobering to read because when you know that there are people in the crowd who have not accepted the Lord Jesus as their own Savior, and you read a verse like this, you start to think about what their end will be. And this is what he says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The reason why he says this is because of the verse that comes right before. And he said that at the time of the law, this is how things worked. When they had the law, there was a just recompense of reward. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Do you know what that means? speaking to a man yesterday, and he said this, I can't understand the difference, or I can't understand when those men who are murderers and they're assassins, and those men who rape, and those men who sodomize, and so on and so forth, that at the end of their lives, they send up this Hail Mary, as it were, or they send up this last prayer to God as an emergency, and they receive salvation at the very last second. He said, I can't understand that. I can't understand how those people will be able to be in heaven. They're too sinful. They're too sinful. When he's talking about here, this writer, he's saying that when it came to God's word, this is what counts. It's not just how severe your disobedience is. It's the fact that you disobey. And I really want to emphasize this for you tonight because there's people in the crowd who are not getting this point and you need to live in this biblical reality. It's not necessarily the severity of your sin, but it's the fact that you sin. It's not how bad of a sin you've committed, but it's the fact that you are a sinner and that you have sinned against God. For those men, when it came to the law, All they had to do was disobey one thing that God said. And you know what the punishment was for many of them? They'd be stoned to death. And we look at that with our present values here in the 21st century, and we're so reasonable, and we're just so enlightened, and we're so so philosophical, and we just understand things better than they did. And we say God was unreasonable to do something like that to them. Was he? Is that what you think? Think about these truths tonight. Is that what you think? Would God be unreasonable to send you to hell? Would it be unreasonable for God to punish you for who you are and for what you've done according to the word of God? It would not. It would not. You know what sin is? There's a very basic definition of sin. God's word disobeyed. God says something. He tells us something to do and we either neglect it or we avoid it or we put it aside or we disobey it. That's what a sin is. When it comes to the Garden of Eden, how many sins did it take to be expelled from the Garden? Do you remember? It was just one. And what was the sin? It wasn't murder. It wasn't an assassination. They weren't people who went around and raped and sodomized. They did one thing. They didn't obey the Word of God 
and they were out. That's what a sin is. We dumb sin down. We water sin down. We say it's not so important. It's not so big. It's not such a big deal. It shouldn't be before God. That's what we say. God says it is a big deal. Because I am God. I am the holy God of heaven. And when I say this must be done, there must be obedience. We're not talking about just our parents. You should obey your parents. We're talking about God himself. The God of glory, that perfect, holy, and righteous God. That's why, not just murder, but any disobedience, any time you neglect the word of God. So that's where he comes down to this verse and he says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? At that time, it was a law. And there was a law and there were things that you needed to obey, different rules. And you must obey these rules. And they, what they had to do over and over again was come and to offer and to obey and to obey. And he says here, we have so great a salvation. We are in the age of grace. This is in the age of the law. God is not asking you to put the law on your wall and to make sure that you obey it day in and day out. What God is asking and showing you is this. I've shown you my grace. I've shown you my love. I've given you my son. And I'm asking this. Believe him. Put your faith in in him, and receive salvation. And the message is this. How will you escape if you neglect that? That is so great. That is so great. How will you escape? I'm asking you. Don't respond out loud. How will you escape? How will you escape eternal punishment with a salvation that is so great? Why is salvation so great? It is so great, even though other people, they mock salvation and they say, well, so, you know, that salvation you guys talk about, you know, it's not really that easy. There's a lot of things you need to do. You need to do, 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 and do more and offer, 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 and offer more. This salvation thing you're talking about, it's really not that great. No, this salvation actually is quite great. Do you know why it's great? Because of the magnitude of the salvation. The magnitude of it. Not only does salvation free you from sin, but salvation will free you from yourself. You know, one of the troubles that teenagers have, at least I had it when I was a teenager, and I wonder, maybe there's some in the crowd who have a similar problem. You're self-obsessed. And some people are self-obsessed on the positive side, and other people are self-obsessed on the negative side. Really low self-esteem, they like to call it nowadays. You're, you're down on yourself, or you're too up on yourself. You think you're amazing, or you think you're horrible. I think I'm the best, or I think I'm the worst. I'm the most good-looking person, or I'm the ugliest person in my whole school. I'm the best, or I'm the worst. Both of those are self-obsession. Do you know that the gospel, salvation, frees you from yourself? Because you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're thinking about God, and you're thinking about His Son and what He's done for you. Don't necessarily tonight be looking into your life and be examining every nook and cranny of your existence. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Him is where you will find salvation. If you look to yourself, you will not find it. This is so prevalent. Another man just told us today. How will you be saved? Oh, he said, the way that I'm going to be saved is by doing good things and by helping my neighbor and by being a good person. Stop looking at yourself and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. As I said, what I really want to get to is further down in the chapter. But we see here, this is worthy. This is worthy of putting your faith in it. This isn't just some book that appeared out of nowhere and some tyrannical monster came and said to you, you must obey this book. 
and with a sword came up to your neck and said, if you don't obey this book, then you will die. No, it says here in these verses that this book was attested by those people who heard it. This is attested by the Lord Jesus himself. It was attested by God himself. It was attested by signs and miracles and healings. This is a book that has authority. So you can put your faith on it. You can, you can confide in it. You can trust every single word that we find here. I want to get down to another verse. That's all just introduction. What I really want to get down to is to talk about two things tonight. I want to talk about man. And I would like to speak about the man. I speak about man. And then I want to tell you about the man. Look down where it speaks about the man. As we come down, the chapter asks a question in verse number uh, verse number five, verse number six. Look down in your Bible, it says this, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man? I want you to ask the question tonight as well. What is man? What are we? Just take a step back for a second. You're all sitting in a gospel meeting and we're all very comfortable and you know how it goes and you listen to the message and you've heard it before. Just relax, take a second. Step back. Just think about it from this very general perspective. What is man? What is a man? Over history, there's been very, various versions of what a man is. So people in, in old religions, like in Mexico, the Aztecs and the Maya, you know what they thought about man? They thought men were just these, these creatures that lived on the earth and, and the gods up in the sky. These capricious gods, they would look down at these men and they would make them do whatever they wanted, whatever was according to their whim or fancy. And the men had to offer sacrifices and they lived their lives and they, they died. And there was really just nothing important about their lives. It was all according to these bipolar schizophrenic gods up in the sky. But then there's a newer theory, and this is actually something many people believe today. You won't find too many Aztecs and Mayans who believe that, but you know what people believe today? Something very similar. They believe what man is and what woman is, what you are. You're just a, a particle, a little particle floating through space, and you happen to arrive here on earth. And the way that you arrived was just by some impersonal, mindless, pointless, and purposeless force that has brought you together. And you know what? That force didn't even know that it was doing it. And one day, this whole collection of particles, one day it's all just going to explode. And the whole thing's going to go back to the dust and back to space dust. And you know what? Again, the impersonal force isn't even going to know what it did. It's so prevalent today to think that you are just a person without a purpose and without any point. The Bible says something different. What is man? What is man? I'd like to tell you the story of man. The story of man is this, that God created mankind to be in his image. God created us, according to this chapter, the reason why mankind was created was so that he would subdue and so that he would control, increasingly control this creation that God had created, but that he would be over. It says that he would be, all things would be subject under him. That's what man was created for. Is that what it looks like, looks like today? It doesn't look like that to me. What we see today is that this world has been perverted. That was God's plan for man. That was his plan. But what we see today is that man has been perverted. You and I, corrupted by sin, 
corrupted to the point where we cannot save ourselves. Not that man ever could, but that we cannot do anything about our situation. Man has been corrupted. The plan of God, though he is faithful and he will fulfill it to the end, man has been corrupted. And that's you. And that's me. So what's going to happen? What's the solution? How will you be saved? Well, that's where we get to this verse that I wanted to focus on. Look again down to verse number nine. But, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. I hope tonight that you can think about the Lord Jesus, but as you do, that you will remember what it, what it cost him to save this corrupt man, this corrupt woman, this corrupt creation, what it cost him to save. It says right here, he tasted death. When we read in the scriptures about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we read about is a man that came from heaven, and it says in Philippians 2 that he, made, he was obedient to death, but it says very specifically that he was obedient to the death of the cross. It wasn't just like any other death. God's holy son was subject to those Roman soldiers and to those Jews who condemned him, and he was put on that cross, and he was nailed and crowned of thorns on his head, and the lashes that went against his back and the beard off his face, he was crucified. And he suffered in his own body on the tree. Do you know why? He tasted death so that he could ruin and take away your sin so that you would not have to die. The Lord Jesus Christ was put on the cross and he died on the cross. He tasted that death so that you wouldn't taste it. So that you would have life so that you would be saved. I want to ask you personally, in the crowd tonight, think about what he did for you. Does it mean anything to you? Has it any effect on your life? When you wake up in the morning and you think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, how does it affect you throughout the day even? Do you think about your salvation? Do you think about eternity? Do you think about where your soul will be? It says here that for you, for you, he tasted death. He went into death. And he destroyed death. That's the verse that we see a little bit later on. Look down further down in the chapter. It says later on about the Lord Jesus that through death, he also himself, likewise, verse number 14, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. It's said about the Roman Empire that everybody who lived at that time, and I know it spanned a large amount of time, but everyone who lived in the Roman Empire was tired of living and afraid to die. They were tired of life, and they were afraid to die. 
as we go around and we talk to people, even in this very neighborhood, in Livonia, it's a nice place. We talk to people and we find some, it looks like they're just tired of living. You know what's missing? A lot of times, those same people, they're not afraid to die. In fact, they have no consciousness and no worry and no thought about where they will be after they die. I trust that tonight, I hope you don't have, we're not trying to induce a panic attack, not trying to induce anxiety in you, but I hope that you will come to this truth and be honest before the Lord. Your death will come. Your eternity will either be in heaven or it will be in hell. And if you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then death is something to fear. And eternity is something to be scared of. For you will not escape. Remember this. The Lord Jesus Christ tasted death for you so that you do not have to experiment it yourself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him and you will be saved.